Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. If you appreciate this podcast, if you have found any of the episodes valuable for you, I would so appreciate if you would leave me a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews actually help people see more. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. I have a really cool guest today. Our conversation was cool. She has some cool resources for you guys. So before before we get to the conversation, let me introduce her. Nadine Levitt is an education thought leader and advocate, having spoken all over the world on the importance of social and emotional learning and the power of music education. Born in Switzerland, she grew up in Germany and New Zealand, but settled in the United States in 2004. As a proud mom to several two- and four-legged beings, she is passionate about wellness-centric education and embraces the philosophy of play and curiosity as a gateway to learning. 
In 2015, Nadine founded Whirly, which also makes Whirly EDU a leading ed tech platform that weaves social and emotional learning into musical skill development for a fun and effective music education. Nadine is also the founder of My Mama Says, a social emotional learning and e-commerce business that has an entire curriculum attached to it. Nadine wrote these books as a simple and empowering tool to use with her own kids to help them develop positive self-awareness, self-regulation skills, confidence, empathy, creativity, and self-expression. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Nadine. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Hi, Nadine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you mind first just kind of telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. Um, uh, so I'm Nadine Levitt, and I am an education advocate. Uh, I've been in education for a, a bit more than a decade. Um, and in that time, I come from a very non-traditional sort of trajectory. So I started actually as an international trade lawyer um, wow. and uh, sort of arguing about the geographical indications or whether it's generic enough to call camembert camembert. So that was my life for six years. Uh, and then after that, I, um, I was a touring opera singer. So I'd always loved to sing and I was touring around the world um, uh, doing uh, singing opera. Uh, I got to share amazing stages with David Foster and all sorts of people. So I bring both of those worlds kind of into my current career as an education advocate and the way that I problem solve tends to be very holistic, whole per uh, person approach. Um, I started really, I, when I had my, my own kids, I didn't want to be on the road anymore as an opera singer. And so I decided to settle down with a, with a tech startup. And that's how I started Worldly EDU. And I founded a company called uh, Worldly EDU, which is a, an ed tech platform basically for music education and arts education. Um, but rather than just teaching music, we maximize learning by also teaching social and emotional skills because when you listen to music, you feel something. And so it makes a really mm -hmm. good place to teach those skills. And then um, both my kids, you know, have one, one in particular has really big feelings, but both of them, you know, in order to, I think social emotional learning is such a foundational uh, skill to have. Uh, and it is so vital, it's crucial for responsible decision making, relationship building, it's really important for self-management, self-awareness. And so for future happiness and success, I saw as a parent how important this was for my own kids. And I really wanted to give them all the tools that they needed in order to have that successful life, basically. And in doing so, I wrote a book called My Mama Says Inside Me Lives a Village because I didn't love some of the literature that was out there. A lot of, in fact, in fact every single program I've ever seen talks about emotions in a singular way, right? So mm -hmm. um, I'm, this is happiness, this is sadness, this is anger. But the problem is that it turns it into a caricature and happiness doesn't look like like this, right? Happiness uh, can look and feel very, very different depending on what other emotions are showing up with it. So for example, I'm about to hop on a roller coaster and I'm happy, but I'm also excited and nervous. That looks and right. feels really different to happiness when I'm in love and grateful and snuggling up with someone I care about on the couch. So yeah. that's very, very different. And so as you're teaching kids about the different 
sort of the, the 3D element of emotion, so to speak. I talk about it almost like a watercolor painting where these emotions come in groups and they influence each other and uh, they can change, you know, there's an overall message. And if you only ever listen to the loudest emotion, you're not getting the full message. And all of our emotions, there's no sort of bad or good emotions. They're all actually helping us or trying to help us lead a more fulfilling and connected life. And yeah, so I created a, a whole program around it. Now we have toys, we have um, a whole curriculum for schools. Uh, we work with some really interesting um, uh, clubs. So it was, yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. That's amazing. I would love to hear more about um, your the platforms that you have and all of the resources you have in a little bit. But can you first, would you mind, you, you mentioned this term social emotional learning. And I, you talked a little bit about what that is, but is there like a very kind of basic definition of what that is maybe for the listeners who are really new to this, this term, this concept? Yeah, so social and emotional learning, and, and a piece of this is also emotional intelligence specifically, because I think back in the day, we didn't really talk about emotional intelligence. We just said, oh, someone's in touch with their emotions, right? Mm. And so this yeah. is a kind of, it's a newer concept for people. Emotional intelligence, I think what's nice about it is it removes the stigma that's also kind of was attached to it. Like it's okay for girls to be in touch with their emotions, but kind of the toxic sort of, masculinity that wasn't okay for certain boys to, to be in touch with their emotions, for example. Right. Um, so emotional intelligence to me is three, there are three levels to it. So the first is, can you identify emotions in yourself and other people? So that's the, the basic level that you need for emotional intelligence. The second level is, uh, can I separate out my thoughts and actions from my emotion. So you can't control your emotional responses. They're going to come and go, but you can absolutely uh, uh, control your behavior and the thought patterns that come with it. So with awareness. So it's okay to feel angry, not okay to punch someone is the example, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third level is, um, can you look at all your emotions and, and, and reflect on what's being signposted for you. So they're really just messengers at the end of the day. And can you get those, receive those messages and then respond? Brene Brown has a quote that, and I don't, it's not her quote, it's actually, she just talks about it a lot as the sort of foundation of her work. Um, but it's, it's in essence, something along the lines of, um, in between the moment of uh, an emotional response being felt and response, the behavioral response, or it, it, there, there's this moment of pause. And that's where awareness becomes really key and where you have a choice how you want to act. And that's responding. When you react, that's when you don't have that gap, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so emotional intelligence is, is a piece of social and emotional learning. Social emotional learning, I think, in the past has always been just by experience. You go through life and people get annoyed at you uh, if you do something. And so you learn like that's not socially acceptable. So it's more of a social forming thing. Now, I think there, there, there are a lot of schools that are teaching social and emotional learning. And to me, I mean, it's a little bit, you know, it, it got a little crazy what people were including in social and emotional learning. But to me, social and emotional learning should be uh, about your self-awareness. It's like the castle has the five skills that you have. There's self-awareness, self-management, 
there's um, relationship building, uh, then there's responsible decision making. I'm missing one. What am I missing? Self-awareness, self, uh, self-awareness, uh, self-management. Then there's relationships, responsible decision making. Oh, social awareness. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, social awareness is the fifth one. So, um, and those are the skills that you really do need in life. If you know, when you're a successful CEO or when you're a successful in a successful marriage, those are the skills that you draw on. Mm-hmm. And all of those things, whether you're taking a test and you're trying to self-manage yourself to, to not have the stress be um, all-encompassing. Uh, you might have um, social skills when you're learning to read a room and know how you want to behave. Um, so all of these skills are things that are sort of very, very foundational for a happy, successful life. Yeah. I love that. That's so interesting. And, you know, the entire time that you were just talking, um, I, I thought of the work of Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who, um, I love his work. It sounds like you, or it looks like you might Mm -hmm, be familiar. (laughs) And he talks about how, um, children, young children, so toddler age, Mm -hmm. they do not have impulse control, right? We don't have, they don't have impulse control because their frontal cortex is not fully developed. And he talks about this idea of having more than one emotion at a time. And so when you were talking about earlier about the like 3d experience of emotions and how it happiness is going to look different depending on the other emotions that you're also experiencing at the same time. I was thinking about this idea of how, um, you know, he talks about how our kids our very young kids are really governed by the dominant emotion that they're feeling. And so when, for example, a child takes a toy from them that they were playing with, they might feel angry or frustrated or sad. And that their behavior is going to be completely governed by that dominant emotion because they may not be able to yet um, also feel care and love for their friend or something like that, that might stop them from hitting their friend out of anger or something of that nature. And that doesn't develop until the child is a bit older. I think he says usually between the ages of five and seven could be a bit longer for highly sensitive children. Um, So I'm interested if you're familiar with his Mm -hmm. work, your thoughts on that. And also like what age ranges are, is your work, is your, um, are your platforms designed for? Mm -hmm. So I'll take the first one first. So, um, I think what's interesting is because that prefrontal cortex isn't fully de- isn't developed yet in young young kids. Uh, it's it's more actually it's not that they don't feel all the emotions they actually do they feel all of those they feel the care they feel the love they feel all of them right. What they um, don't have is that pause that I talked mm. about earlier right they they haven't learned that skill yet to pause reflect what do you want to do. They mm. don't know they can't put into their head yet what all the likely consequences are. Because in that in that slight pause where between the difference between response and reacting, right, is is a moment where our brains go through all the potential different consequences of what might happen if we do this, if we do that, and and weighing up how we really want to respond. Um, I think, and, and for many reasons, kids don't do that. Young young kids don't have the skills to do that. They're just not phys- physiologically, they're not, at a, they're not capable of that. Um, but they do, I think the more, that's why it's so important to model it and to practice that pause because you can build that, right? And, and, and you can't build it at two, but with time, with practice, 
it's a really good skill to have. And so when, as the brain develops between the ages of five, I think it's between yeah, five and six, um, five and six and seven, um, it, it, the more that those routines are in there, the, the quicker the, the frontal cortex will remember, this is what I do. I feel these emotions, I pause, take a breath. How do I want to respond? And mm -hmm. it's this power almost like it's a superpower really to keep calm and decide, you know, and every yeah. kid is so different. And, and I have two very, very, very different kids, very different kids. My, um, uh, my son is even at five years old was extremely high EQ. So he, my, my sister came in one day and said, um, she was trying to be happy, you know, really sort of almost forcefully happy because her friend had just died and she didn't want to sort of bring that to the house, to the kids, um, for whatever reason. And my son totally picked up on it and he said, what's wrong with Auntie Mina? She's, she's happy on the outside, but on the inside, she's sad. Mm -hmm. And so um, I thought that was sort of really amazing. Whereas um, my, my daughter, uh, is incredibly now is extremely articulate, but she's highly sensitive. So it was just one of these moments where, you know, emotions are really, really massive. Um, and, and so a lot of these sort of skills had to be learned and, and it made a huge, huge difference in our house. When I started seeing the physiological, right? Cause it's, it's so natural as a parent, there are certain things that you have to do, like get them to school on time and, you know, there are certain things and routines that you have to kind of get through. And when you're supposed to be a bit of an expert um, and things don't happen and you do all the things that you think are the right things to do, you're still going to have moments where we don't do what we should do and where we don't do the best job of modeling something because we are also human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just want to be really clear about the fact that this is not you know, having high emotional intelligence or, or being very aware does not, it's not a solve all for these things. It's, it's, you're still going to have moments, but the nice thing is you'll, you'll be able to jump out of those quicker. So when I have moments where I need to circle back and I'm not proud of certain behaviors, sometimes I'll go back to my kids and I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I, I want to circle back to what just happened because I didn't like the way that I approached that. Um, can we try again? Or you know, and, and that is a really good opportunity in itself to model how to get up again. Yeah. And well, and that repair is part of the whole process too, <clears throat> mm -hmm. because like you said, we're all, none of us are perfect. And mm -mm. I think that was something I was thinking about too, when talking about our kids having emotional intelligences and, and practicing the pause and, and understanding how to pause before they re react or respond so many adults struggle with that. I struggle with that. And I think a lot of it is dependent on how we were raised. Maybe if we were co-regulated with how our parents handled our emotions, um, and what was modeled to us. And it's, it's just such a normal thing for us to have to work through our own kind of our issues. And it's also something that the more we do it, we rewire our brain to, to, to do the pause more, but it's not easy. You have to be really intentional about practicing um and it's hard in the moment when you're when your emotions are high absolutely i i so you you touched on two things one um you absolutely do have to build it into a, a routine where you're purposeful about it because if you're doing it while you're trying to do other things it's it's never the outcomes are never as great whereas if you say okay i'm gonna that's why we we created all these products that are centered on play so that you can actually come with toys or with you know different activities 
and you know that you're coming purposefully for that uh, for that reason that you're 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 going to be modeling a healthy emotional processing but if you don't come with that intention then those emotions can override us too um the second thing i wanted to mention which was you know which you touched on <clears throat> excuse me is uh we are as human beings programmed to learn right and part of that learning is that we are optimized to recognize patterns for these shortcuts otherwise our brain just couldn't handle the the processing power it's like a computer if you have to reason every time you think okay what's the best way to push this door handle down i mean you know you'd never leave the house so right. so one of the um one of the reasons that we, we recognize patterns so, so that we can shortcut our thinking um and so we've got all this pattern recognition in our brains. And sometimes those patterns are based on fact or, or something, you know, sometimes they're experiences, sometimes it's um, uh, some uh, stories that somebody told us, it might be media, it might be uh, so many different thing, influences that have caused those patterns to come up. But a lot of it might be made by sense making within the brain. So something happens to us and that's the fact, but then our brain has to make sense of that and it starts to create these stories of why that happened. And then that gets solidified in our brain as to a pattern. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the reasons it's so difficult to unlearn patterns is because we're not aware of the fact that we have all these different patterns inside of us. And you have to sort of very consciously say, no, that one actually isn't a pattern. And so um, I, I do love the concept of sort of saying and again i hate to quote her twice in one podcast but brene does talk about um this uh uh you know what what are the stories that you're telling yourself and it's interesting my own daughter did it to me the other day um i came in and she just saw on the look of my face i'd asked her to clean her room um before we were leaving for school and so forth and she looked at me and she said mom are you telling yourself the story that i don't care about you because i haven't cleaned my room when i said i was going to and i was like Yes, actually, <laughs> I was telling myself that story. Um, and so it was, it's nice when you can do it as a family unit, because you can kind of keep, your, keep each other honest and sort of say, hang on, is this the story you're telling yourself? And what, what, are, you, what are your expectations? Because all of life's conflict is really based on unmet expectation. Yeah, for sure. So you have, my mama says, and then you have Whirly Edu. Could you tell us a little bit more about each of those um, yeah. platforms, resources? Sure. So uh, Whirly Edu is a music uh, education platform. It's for uh, for schools, but and and then uh, so it's got lesson plans. It's got um, videos by uh, different artists and and so forth. Then we've got a, the most extensive music catalog for popular music in K through twelve education. And for kids, it's creation tools. So they get to record themselves and add filters and so on and so forth. What's different about Willie EDU is that in the moment, rather than sort of, I think it came, let me backtrack a second. It came from this philosophy. I realized that, you know, we don't teach math to be a mathematician or science to be a scientist or English to be a writer. Why are we teaching music to be a musician from the outset? It really sets you up for failure because a lot of people might not be a interested or be just um, uh, supported enough to actually continue uh, to be a musician. So instead, 
when you think about how music makes us feel something, because it's literally the only thing that where the, the only time that you have something coming into your body, it goes into your, your these sound waves go into your ears, they uh, manipulate your eardrum, move your eardrum, and your brain's like, what just happened? Why did something in the body move without me directing it to? And so then it tries to make sense of things. And that's why you feel all these emotions and all these memories come up and so on and so forth. Um, and it's kind of, it's a wonderful place, therefore, to teach those social and emotional skills. So if I said, hey, Taylor, let's just learn a song. And if you're not really interested in becoming a, a musician, you're going to turn off at that point and be like, okay, not really important right now. And it might not even be a conscious thing. It's a completely subconscious thing where your brain says not important, it goes into that pile over there. But if I said, hey, Taylor, we're going to learn this song, but this is just problem solving 101. So what do we do when we problem solve? We break it down into bite-sized chunks. We recognize patterns. We create a schedule for ourselves as to when we want to uh, complete something by, and we check in with ourselves and adjust accordingly. And that's the case with most uh, problem solving. And so we, we, in the moment, in line, in the lesson plan, we actually point these opportunities for social and emotional learning out using music. Um, my mama says, on the other hand, is a, um, it's all centered on play. Uh, and the idea is it's all emotional learn, social emotional learning using the arts, uh, using playful sort of activities. And we have books. So I've, uh, for those that are watching, um, you know, I've got some books behind me. We've got books, we've got yoga cards, we've got placemats, we've got magnet boxes and activity boxes, and we've got some plushy toys and so on and so forth. But the idea is really, if you can have an activity of something fun that you're doing with your kids, uh, where you happen to be talking about emotions or modeling emotional processing, it's a lot harder, uh, harder to get a child to, or anyone actually for that matter, to talk about their emotions when you're looking them right in the eye and saying, okay, tell me how you're feeling. Whereas if you're both coloring, you're saying, oh, so tell me, how was your day? Like, like oh, how are you feeling? You know, what's, what's, how do you feel about that? Then your attention is really at whatever your activity is and they don't feel so confronted by it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the purpose of it. The philosophy is very simple, which I just explained earlier, this concept that they come together, they're messengers. And then um, some of activities like, for example, the, the yoga cards, uh, um, they actually go through each emotion and say, here's a, a pose, try and find where this emotion might live for you and who, who it might be friends with and um, who comes with it, you know? And here are some of the things that it might be signposting for you. Um, and, and then you start to learn that things like, for example, grief and happiness have actually a very similar mission, right? Happiness is showing you, is rewarding you through dopamine um, it's sort of it's rewarding you to say this is what connects you and fulfills you but in that moment often we aren't aware enough to really take that and say well what exactly about this experience are we connecting with and what about this experience is fulfilling us whereas when we lose something so I recently lost a dog my, my, my 13 year old dog died um, and the grief that you feel puts you into, into a reflective state that you, you know exactly what about that experience you deeply miss. 
And so again, it, connect, it, it points to what connects us, what fulfills us. And if we're aware of it, then we can, uh, in the future, try and seek out other experiences that are similar to that. Mm, that's fascinating. What, so you said Worley EDU is more like a school curriculum. So it's probably for school age children. Mm -hmm. And then what about my mama says, what age range is that for? Age range is really all the way down from toddler all the way through to about eight years old. And then we've, we've got this new product that we're about to launch uh, called Emotion Wonderland, which will be at emotionwonderland.com. Uh, and that's uh, a free quiz for uh, older kids for probably, I'd say, you know, six and up. But you can also, with younger kids as a parent, guide them through it. But it's a really fun quiz to help them uh, help them understand how they're feeling based on certain choices that they make uh, visually on the things that they like to listen to or the things that they like to see or experiences that they'd like to have right now. Um, and it's just a fun way, again, to start talking about emotions and what it might be meaning for you and what those how emotions come in those groups. Uh, and then we do have a sort of mini course for kids where they can self explore and kind of go through what each of these emotions feels like, looks like, who they're friends with. And when I talk about how emotions look in that course on Emotion Wonderland, we talk very much about how they look in groups. So we actually show videos that say, you know, first and foremost, here's what it, you may think it looks like, which is that smiley face kind of thing for happiness, right? And then here's what it really looks like. And then we show videos of things happening and we put on the right-hand side, the other emotions that are there with, with the happiness so that you can start to see and become a little bit more aware socially of what somebody might be feeling. I love that idea of, of teaching kids how their feelings really look, might look like in like a real world setting 3d, because I really haven't thought of that before. And you're right. Now that you say that every like emotional book or tool that I have in my home, um, or that I've seen, it's really just the characters of, you know, a smiley face or a really like angry looking face. And so that's really interesting. Now I know there are a lot of homeschool family. There's all kinds of families that listen to this podcast, but there's definitely a big population of homeschool families. And what I'm thinking here is that your programs and resources would probably be a good, like supplemental tool for homeschooling families as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotionwonderland.com. Or if you go to my mama says, and it's M A M A. So my mama says.com. Uh, and we have a bunch of free resources for families and teachers too. But um, if you're homeschooling, um, go on, we've got activities, searchable activities, and we also have a download um, for activities that you can do in the car, activities you can do over a meal, activities you can do when you're on the go, um, and out and about, sorry. Um, so there's like, we, we've done it by environment. So if you're in the park, here's the things, here's some activities you can do that are social emotional learning. And most of them, we've tried to make them all so that they're free and things that you can do in your own sort of time. Mm -hmm. um, and then our, our sort of, it's more my philo the philosophy that I want people to, to, to adopt, and then they can make it their own and then share back for it with us, you know, how they, how they used it. Yeah. So here's a question for you using these resources as a parent or as a caregiver, an adult caregiver, do we need to be, to have really amazing emotional intelligence to walk through these programs with our children or will it also help us because i'm just thinking of like 
my, myself, even, you know, there are some things I, I maybe don't understand, or it gets me really thinking and I'm not sure how to approach this with my child. And so will I be, um, kind of guided in that with my child? Yeah, it's really clear. It's really turnkey. Um, and what we've heard from a lot of, um, families actually is that nine times out of 10, uh, the adults actually learn something too. And they're yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. That's an, an interesting way to look at that. Um, and so, and I welcome that. I, I think that there's there are still things that I don't know, and this is my life's work, right? There, I'm I am committed to staying curious and staying intellectually sort of um, having some intellectual humility, so that I can know that we don't know it all. No one does, and and it's just a wonderful opportunity for us to guide our kids through it and and model that and you know we are lifelong learners we're always learning and not to be intimidated by that opportunity but instead say okay let's take this and and let's learn together yeah that's great that's amazing it's like you have so many amazing resources and programs and things for parents and children and that's just this work is so so important um understanding our emotions is so important being able to process our emotions so you are making a huge difference can you you've already given us a lot of your websites but just briefly can you tell us where we can find your work if we want to learn more from you sure um so it's my mama says.com www.mymamasays uh, com. And I'll link uh, these in the show notes as well. Perfect. And then emotionwonderland.com. Uh, and Whirly is the one that's a little funky, which is www.whirly.edu. Uh, and it's w-u-r-r-l-y-e-d-u.com. So those are the websites. We can definitely, yeah, link to them in the show notes. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Nadine, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, I really appreciate it. Again, I think this work is so important. I'm so glad that you came on to talk to us about it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.